My guest today is Aruni Kashyap, an assistant professor at the University of Georgia and an Assamese writer from India who has long translated work from the region of Assam that is central to many of the conflicts currently going on in India today. I asked Aruni on as a guest to talk to us about how his writing informs his understanding of the current protests, cries for help, and anger going on in India at this current moment, what growing up in Assam has taught him about conflict and hatred, and as an artist, if he sees a way forward, perhaps in a new language, a new way of being, a new perspective uh, that we can create on our own to help us heal these hatreds and move forth uh, in a better, more just, and more diverse way. Understanding Assam, though it's quite complicated, is critical, I think, to understanding both the anger going on in India currently today and what's at stake if the protests fail and the current Indian government is allowed to implement its draconian and neo-fascist policies on citizenship and the determination of who is and isn't an Indian citizen. If you like what we're doing in bringing you these complicated but crucial conversations, please support us. Uh, give us a rating on uh, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to us. Please go to our YouTube, where we also have numerous video interviews with artists. And please check out our website, asiaarttours.com, where we have great programs connecting people to the artists, academics, and minds uh, of Asia. All right, here's our conversation with Aruni Kashyap on Assam, India, and the current protests. Aruni Kashyap. I'm an Assamese writer and translator. I currently work at the University of Georgia, where I teach creative writing and English literature. So we're, we're talking to you and we're trying to reach out to a lot of um, India writers, academics, and thinkers because, one, we're embarrassed. I mean, unfortunately, it takes these sort of global events to inspire you to look closer. And when you do, you, you suddenly realize there's all these amazing people in the world you had no idea about uh, before those events happened. And Assam, the region uh, itself, could, could be in, in, in an entire, it seems like, uh, India, I, have no, I can't even comprehend India after beginning to look into Assam just because Assam has so many layers and complexities. Um, so I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about um, Assam as a region, just how you try to explain it to people in sort of a very casual, over a cup of tea sort of way. And then for a lay person who maybe hears you at a bookstore giving a, uh, an author speaking event or um, for students who you work with one-on-one -on -one who want to figure out more about your, your skills as a writer, how do you explain to them how Assam has influenced you as a writer and how do you see that as sort of a, a, a mutual relationship between you and Assam, Assam and you, and, and how you speak to one another? Yeah, thank you. 
Thank you for those two great questions. Um, and you know, I'm 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 a little tickled that you mentioned tea because Assam for a long time was the largest producer of tea in the world. Uh, I think Tetley tea, Lipton tea, and many different kinds of tea has Assam tea. So sometimes when I have to talk to a completely sort of uh, blank slate, I say, you know, the tea you're drinking might have Assam tea. Uh, that's where I come from. Uh, I think Assam tea's hegemony in the market has been challenged by tea from other places. So I think tea brings us to the question about how did tea come here, you know? So Assam was colonized by the British in 1826. It is, a it is in the northeastern part of India, uh, and the northeast of India is a very unique region um, that has currently eight states, but traditionally it, ha it has uh, seven states. Uh, it used to have seven states, but now we include another state called Sikkim also into the ambit of the conversation. So these northeastern states, uh, especially these seven states, are linked to the rest of India, what we call the Indian mainland, through a 22-kilometer broad, narrow stretch. It's called the chicken snake. Assam is, uh, is in the middle of northeast, and a lot of other states in the northeast were actually carved out of the Assam. Assam was a much larger province, say, 50 years ago. I grew up in the largest city in the northeast India. It is called Guwahati. And Guwahati uh, is my hometown. It is also witness to a lot of political upheavals and instabilities and um, insurgency and so on. But to put a long story short, uh, I would say that um, Assam um, is, is, is um, the most um, sort of um, strategically located among the Northeast because whatever happens in Assam, it actually ends up affecting a lot of other, other, other states in the Northeast. So Assam's peace and stability is very important for all of us who live in the Northeast. Uh, in 1979, Assam burst into an insurgency, um, and this insurgency was uh, led by a group of people. They formed an organization called the Alpha, um, United Liberation Front of Ahom. So these people wanted to um, establish a sovereign socialist republic of Assam. They had a flag of their own. They had a vision of their own. They, want, they were trying to find out how Assam would be uh, functioning as an economically independent uh, a, a nation as well. They had massive popular support from the people of Assam. So why did people support? It was primarily because people thought that, you know, democratic mean, means of establishing Assamese self-determination or Assamese uh, of, of, of acquiring, uh, acquiring different kinds of rights for the Assamese people um, was, was, had exhausted and they wanted um, an armed insurgency to solve these problems and secede by seceding from the Indian Union. I was born in 1984, so you can understand it was the peak of the, the, the insurgency. I lived through the years of insurgency uh, in the late 80s, in the late 90s. Most of my childhood in the 90s was all about reading about the mass killings, human rights violations by army, killings by insurgents, attack on government establishments, rapes, um, extrajudicial killings. This was a conversation of my childhood. And I think I was able to know all of this also because both my parents happened to be uh, very invested in Assamese politics in a cultural way. They're both writers. My mother was a novelist and my father is a writer and columnist. 
uh, they are they are very entrenched in Assamese culture and society. And and most of my I grew up with a lot of Assamese writers, activists. Um, you know, sort of visiting our home since my childhood. So I know a lot of this because of that. And I also had a very bilingual education. I though I studied in English medium schools, I always read Assamese books and Assamese media was exposed to me all the time. So as a result, I grew up being aware of these things. Um, so that's a lot of um, heavy stuff for a bookstore, but I believe this gives you a sense of where I come from. And um, um, uh, But all of these things have influenced and shaped uh, shaped me as a writer and a person. Uh, and that is why I think in, in my work, uh, when I start to write, I imagine, I think about how I can tell a story that can also generate a discourse of human rights. How can I tell a story that would also lead to conversations and possibly promotion and possibly, you know, establishing of justice. Um, this is important for me as a writer. Uh, this is the kind of training I got. This is also the kind of these are also the kind of writers I grew up reading from all over the world who write work that is political, work that is socially relevant. And of course, you know, um, uh, in Assam, because I grew up seeing so much turbulence, it bothered me for a long time. So I probably because when I set out to write my first novel, that is why I ended up writing about a very violent and uh, tragic chapter of Assam's history. Uh, so that's where I come from. Uh, but I also write about other things, but um, uh, but these are uh, the primary things that I have written so far. Something that I would be curious to know about your writing, in particular for Assam, um, in reading about the history, the sort of the present day history, and even going back to the British colonization where um, workers were brought in from other parts of India and sort of kicked off the uh, ambiguity about identity uh, and this tension of identity that, that exists in the Assam region. I'm wondering for you as a writer, how has writing allowed you to explore Assamese identity in a way that might be taboo or even, or if taboo is too strong or difficult to do uh, through other mediums and how the experiences of Assam through your writing have allowed you to sort of hold multiple identities at once or explore them through perhaps um, creating different protagonists or uh, different voices within your work? Thank you for that question. Um, you know, Assam is not a melting pot, but it's definitely a salad bowl. Um, it has all kinds of flavors, all kinds of fruits, all kinds of vegetables, just the way you would see in a mixed bowl of salad. Uh, Assam has numerous ethnicities. Um, I, I I know of at least um, 50, 60 of them. And um, these et ethnic groups uh, speak in different languages. Assamese is the, is the, is the language of the street, of, the, of commerce, of connection. And for, for, for a very long time, since, since the, you know, I think 11th century, we have had Assamese literature in writing. And the idea of uh, Brahmaputra Valley and, and larger Assam goes back to the um, early 15th centuries. Uh, but these, these small kingdoms that existed in the, on the Brahmaputra Valley, these are not necessarily always friendly kingdoms. They, always, or they were either fighting between themselves or they were uh, forming allies. So it is not that uh, we have had a very happy history of 
of living together. But the shared language was always there, uh, where people could come out and and this and, and use this link language, but go back to their homes or go back to their own kingdoms uh, and speak the language. This shared language eventually sort of formed um, the community that we are at least ethnic group that we call Assamese right now. Uh, I belong to a, a caste called Kus, and and um, maybe we had a language. I have no idea, but 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 many other communities they are bilingual, uh, such as the Missings, the Boros, the Karbis. Uh, there are huge Karbi population in the village uh, of my grandmother, where I also currently my home is. And they speak to each other among other communities in Assamese, but at home they speak Karbi, and that's how, that's the kind of very uh, eclectic mix of multiple languages and multiple ethnicities I have grown up. The idea of Assam is also has traditionally been, as, as I have seen in literature and popular uh, popular culture, quite inclusive. Um, the people who you talk about uh, were brought in. Um, uh, also from uh, erstwhile um, East Pakistan, uh, which is now Bangladesh, and also from Central India. So the people who came from Bangladesh, they were called New Assamese in, in the songs of uh, Jyoti Prasad Agarwala, who was uh, an architect of modern Assam and identity. Um, they, were, they were welcomed um, and they were encouraged to be welcomed by the Assamese, uh, Assamese people. Um, but um, but what I'm saying, trying to say is that it is a mixture of multiple tribes, multiple languages, and, and me, people have migrated to it for, for a very long time. Bengalis have migrated, Nepalis have migrated, sent people from central India has migrated. Assam has a very long and complex history of migration. But Assamese continues to remain predominantly the language in which commerce is done, uh, official, uh, and, and also it continues to be the link language or the lingua franca. But this, this shared use of language hasn't been also very um, full of um, bon homie. It has been contested. It has been also become the sources of violence. It has been become also the source of uh, asserting major, majoritarianism. But the, but, but the practical thing is that on the street, this is the language that everybody speaks and feels connected. Um, and um, my identity, I see myself definitely as an Assamese writer because that's a language I express most comfortably in. Along with English, I grew up bilingual and uh, I write in English, I write in Assamese, and Assamese politics or Assamese aesthetics that I see in the folk songs, in the Bihu songs, in the Bongit and all of this, they all influence the way I look at my writing and I construct my stories. So for me, I am most comfortable calling myself an Assamese writer but at the same time, um, uh, I am aware that uh, Assamese language is 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 not a is, is a fraught space. It's a it's a space that is being constantly questioned, contested, and also uh, is it also a unifying force. So it's a very interesting space to be in as an artist, uh, and and because because it, it is so highly stimulating uh, to be in the middle of all of this, uh, because we don't only see strife, but we also see people uh, who are, say, people asserting themselves as Assamese in numerous different spectacular ways and also rejecting their identity and also somewhat accepting it. So it is, it is something that is being constantly negotiated and renegotiated. I don't want to create a romantic view of, of Assamese uh, as a language and Assamese as a community that have forever lived very peacefully in the Brahmaputra Valley. 
um, it is it is it is something that is in flux and and it is something that is uh, uh, constantly taking shape. I want to ask um, within your work, how does sort of everyday Assamese culture, what you would just see walking around, and what a community might look like, or some of the communities in Assam might look like? Um, how what are some of the motifs or symbols that you you've seen often come up in your work, perhaps organically, perhaps? consciously and then for you as a writer is is it something where it's really convinced you on the importance of sort of a a, a high education sort of literature as being crucial to helping explain and understand Assam or is that something that people who do have high educations and who do write literature sometimes can overstate uh, and overlook sort of the everyday beauty of the region. So it's a question a bit about when we're thinking about Assamese culture, what, what stood out to you and you've reflected in your work and then now that you've arrived at this this position of sort of institutional academia, have you really come to see that as important or do you sometimes sort of question the fluidity of that as well or what thoughts have occurred to you now that you're at a place like the University of Georgia? Uh, I when I write, I think I think well, I think the first question about how I see Assam being rep, uh, kind of making into my writing uh, is something that I cannot consciously say, but I'm going to step back from my own work and try to look at it from the point of view of a reader as I as I'm trying to answer your question. But I think it, I think it's a question primarily for my readers. I think I uh, I present the Assam that I know best in my work, uh, and I try to. Uh, definitely try to do it uh, in a way that is representative of this complex idea of Assam. Uh, I don't want to depict one kind of uh, one kind of truth only. That that there are so many different kinds versions of Assam is something that I would like to do through my creative work, my editorial labor. Uh, uh, as well as my uh, as writings about Assam, say in the form of essays or translations. Um, and for example, let me just maybe illustrate with an example that Assam is a polyphonic, multi-ethnic ethnic group is something that I would uh, I would show when I'm about to edit a collection of short stories uh, uh, from Assam. In fact, one of those collections is due for publication next year in February. For, it is called How to Tell the Story of an Insurgency. You know, in, usually when we think about Assamese literature, traditionally uh, people have thought about literature written in Assamese. But to me, Assamese literature is written by anyone who lives in Assam, who, who writes about Assam. So in my anthology, with the limited budget and limited options I had, I tried to include, I have included actually, uh, write uh, short stories that are written in Boro language, for example. Uh, I have included uh, um, also short stories about, say, uh, the immigrant Muslim population, uh, um, and I have written. I have also tried to include short stories um, in this collection about the community, uh, such as the settler communities, the Marwaris uh, from from North India who settled in Assam and have called Assam their home, but they also have faced a lot of persecution and discrimination uh, in the hands of Assamese um, majoritarian uh, uh, nationalists, you know. So um, I try to do that um, and uh, in my editorial work. Um, when I, I 
do want to translate also uh, writers who are from multiple different backgrounds, uh, as long as they write in Assamese, because that's the language I know. So in my own work as a writer and translator and editor, that's what I try to do. I believe that um, there are uh, references to Assamese politics, definitely in my work, uh, in my fiction. And, uh, but I, and I try to, in, for example, um, in, in my first novel, I talked about the secret killings of Assam, but, but I also talked about the tense relationships that exist between, say, Assamese-speaking and uh, settler communities. Uh, there is a Nepali character uh, in my first novel. You know, it's, I written it so, so long ago, I've almost forgotten about it. But, it. but this Nepali character is, is, is the love interest of one of the main, main characters, and this is not something that is approved by the family. So I... I I wrote it when I was in college, and, and I think I was thinking about how these differences uh, exist in our society uh, uh, and, and lead to rejection of people who have called Assam their home. Uh, but at the same time, it is not just a story, one-sided story of victimization and denial. Uh, what I, I want to represent it in, in, in all complexities as possible. I hope that the people who are of other ethnicities in my work are not only victims, but also uh, characters with uh, multiple desires and ambitions. We're going to get um, later in the chat to the power of language and uh, the power of literature and poetry. To, to set the table a little bit, we're going to have to talk about... Um, politics um, about what's currently going on in Assam and why you're in such a state of, of trauma and shock like uh, a lot of people are all over the world currently <laughs> in in many different regions in many different countries and um, why some sort of uh, leftists are in shock about the lack of shock um, because what's going on all over the world is horrifying and you're horrified about the lack of horror on top of it. When you look at some of the people you 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 want to admire or, or whose scholarship you you usually follow, and you see them talking about impeachment or something like that. So we're not going to go to America, though. We're going to return to Assam uh, for the political. Could you just explain for us? And you can take as much time as you need. I don't care if it takes thirty minutes, but. Um, the legacy of the NRC, uh, the CAB, or the CAA, and what these have to do with Assam. So this issue of, could you explain for people the, the, these issues of sort of citizenship, Hindu and Muslim, and, and what's going on there? And you can explain it however you want, however you think uh, it most resonates with you. And then we're going to return again to talking about art uh, in relation to politics. Sure. Um, wow. That that I I want to talk about this, and I'm keen to talk about this. But at the same time, uh, it is such a complex, complicated history. So I'm going to try my best. Uh, and and I and I also want to give you a disclaimer that I'm not a historian. I'm a, I grew up in Assam, and a lot of this is public knowledge. And and I have tried to teach myself because, of course, it is important for me to if I have want to have an opinion. So on the basis of that, um, so currently in um, what's happening in India is basically a massive uh, student uprising against the current Hindu majority and BJP government. So that's what is happening in India because they have 
amended the Citizenship Act of India in December 2019. So, um, but, but for the protest to contextualize them, I think we have to go a little bit back and we have to remind ourselves that these protests against this citizenship amendment bill have been happening in Assam, if I'm not wrong, since 2016. So it's been a while. Assam has been protesting this bill. Um, and, and that is because the people of Assam uh, believe that the citizenship amendment bill uh, that aims to give uh, a citizenship and, and, and make it easy for naturalization uh, uh, for people who have been religiously persecuted in Bangladesh, Pakistan, and Afghanistan. And, but this is only for Hindus, uh, most, uh, Hindus, Christians, Parsis, and all other religions, but not Muslims. Um, the people in Assam have been protesting this because they feel that large number of um, Hindu uh, or Bangladeshi migrants would come to Assam and that would turn them into a minority in their own state and, and which means that they will lose the political power and they will lose their ethnic identity. And, and Assam is, as I said, is a, is, a, is a salad bowl of multiple ethnicities. So, so they feel this is a threat to their indigenous identity and indigenous rights and their, and their indigenous way of existence. So this is why Assam has been protesting this. They want to preserve their language, they want to preserve their culture, and that is why the protests are so emotionally charged. Assam has been also protesting this uh, for the larger reason, which is the same reason that India has been protesting, is that it's an attack on the secular nature of the Indian constitution. India, and that is why people everywhere in the country are reading aloud in groups, in public places, the preamble of the constitution that says that we are a secular democratic nation it is almost serving as a reminder to the people in power that you know you might be, you might try to change that but 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 we will not let this happen uh, these protests have been um, peaceful as far as I know but there is a lot of confusion and I believe and my this is my understanding that someone is trying to turn this protest across the country not just in Assam violent and I think I don't know who is turning turning trying to do this so hard, but uh, definitely we have to probably check who, who benefits if the protests are violent. But I know from reports that I've read in media um, that uh, students are brutalized. There is army in the libraries, your guest shells in the libraries. Um, several people have been shot dead uh, in Assam and, and in other parts of the country. Um, and there is curfew in Assam, there's internet ban in, uh, there was a internet ban in, in, in Assam until today, and I think broadband is brought, brought back today. And, and right now, in, there are multiple places, uh, states, uh, where there is no internet and mobile data because they feel that that's the way they can quell the protest or, 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 or sort of uh, stop people from uh, gaining a, a sense of a connection and, and sort of, you know, a gather. Um, so this is the current situation we are in right now. And, um, and, and I don't know I, if this is a tipping point or if this is going to um, continue for a while until some major change happens. Something that comes up over and over when you read about uh, the NRC and um, this issue of all of a sudden 
not uh, well, there's always been this sort of existential dread it seems like in Assam for a long period of time of these documents any report you read about Assam they'll say documents over and over and and there are these documents that you have to hold on your entire life because you never know at any moment when you might be brought into court or or alternatively what they call a, a, a tribunal any of these I get wrong please correct me in your answer but you have to bring your documents into the tribunal and just what I've read is is horrifying. If you misspell a name, it can destroy the whole documentation chain. You're not a citizen anymore. If you miss a document, it destroys the whole documentation chain. You're not a citizen anymore. If the person in the tribunal can't read the language you wrote it in, it destroys the whole document chain. You can't be a citizen anymore. There's all these issues of where a father will be a citizen because he's kept his documentation intact, but a mother, because she loses a document or something's misspelled, all of a sudden her whole existence is wiped out. And being a man of, of, of letters and language, I'm wondering if you could talk to us a bit about this sort of existential dread, what these documents are, and how they're very important for understanding what's currently going on in Assam. I want to begin by saying that uh, my name is uh, incorrect in the voters list of Assam. My name is spelled as A-A-R-U-N-I. Uh, but the main reason um, we are talking about the NRC is because um, the NRC is a document that the Indian government um, uh, created in the 1950s, if I'm not wrong. It is, it is a national register of citizens. And this is a database of Indian citizens, and I think it was updated in 2003. But the NRC was never implemented in Assam, nor it was updated, because it is a border state and it has a history of migration from neighboring countries, such as Bangladesh, mainly Bangladesh, uh, especially during 1971, after the, during the Bangladesh uh, Mukti Juddha, the Bangladesh Liberation War, and of course during the partition of India, when large scale uh, migrants came from Bangladesh. Um, both Hindus and Muslims, uh, because of the riots and various reasons. Um, NRC in Assam was last updated in 1951. And in 1983, the Indira Gandhi government, they passed an act. It is called the IMDT Act, which is the Illegal Migrants Determination Act. And it was only applicable to Assam. So it gave Assam a different kind of citizenship law. Largely, the act was very unpopular, and it was widely perceived as an act that made it difficult to detect undocumented immigrants. In 2005, the Supreme Court said that this act is unconstitutional, and uh, if I'm not wrong, instructed the Assam to update the National Register of Citizens in Assam. So this was updated in 2019, August, finally, after many, many twists and turns. And it left out about 1.9 million people. Now, how is it related to the current path protests? Uh, CAB, or the Citizenship Amendment Bill, which is now a Citizenship Amendment Act, um, this seeks to grant citizenship to persecuted religious minorities in Bangladesh, Afghanistan, Pakistan, but not Muslims. It, in Assam, this is largely seen as, as an act that will make uh, a lot of undocumented immigrants from Bangladesh that are left out in the NRC, uh, legal immigrants and, and eventually citizens. 
people of Assam again believe that if millions of people or hundreds of thousands of people gain citizenship, that is again a threat to their indigenous identity and culture. And that is why people of Assam is protesting the uh, illegal, uh, uh, people of Assam is protesting the Citizenship Amendment Act that was passed despite huge protests in Assam in, uh, in the parliament this, uh, this month, in December. Uh, and, and since then, the protests have also spread to the rest of India. And as I said just now, a little in the previous question, uh, people across the country are not only protesting, um, uh, people across the country are protesting because it is, a, it, is, it, is a, it is a serious threat to the secular nature of the Indian constitution and the Indian Republic. Uh, in Assam, uh, people are also protesting because it is going to uh, bring uh, large scale, large numbers of, they fear that it's going to bring large number of people, uh, not only from Bangladesh, but it is also going to defeat the entire entire um, uh, process of the NRC, which was a memorandum that people managed to, um, managed to uh, get uh, after a six year long struggle that led to the signing of the Assam Accord in 1985. Assam Accord is, is something that people in Assam hold very dear and this act is a direct violation of the Assam Accord uh, because it said that it would protect the culture and the uh, unique culture and identity of the Assamese people in the, in the, in the state of Assam. So they see it as a direct violation of the Assam Accord, and that is why they are protesting. People are also protesting because it is a direct violation of secular nature uh, of the Indian constitutions. So that is a, uh, that is a summary of a very complicated uh, political history. No, I don't envy you. I when I my notes for this, I sent you this nice one-page list. It was originally. The notes, I think about like 35, 40 pages uh, because it is so complicated and you have to look at so many different sources to feel like you're even getting the, the smallest sense of understanding the, the dueling natures of identity and politics and borders. Um, and sort of this, um, it seems from the... Uh, uh, it reminds me a lot of the work of people like James Scott and this idea of that some things aren't meant to sort of have these very defined borders to them and that to create these borders or these very strict um, identities is in some ways an, a very violent process. Um, and specific to Assam, another example of impermanence, this time not abstract, but a geographic feature is is chars. Again, like we were talking about documents, these these images you read when you read about Assam of, you know, a poor migrant family, their most precious possession is their documents, even if they themselves can't read, you know, they'll they'll hold on to these documents for generations because they never know what's going to happen. Um, a lot of the accounts when you read about Assam is, is this notion of chars where very poor families will live on this fertile um, but very volatile land in sort of river areas. And so when flooding comes, it, it can wipe everything out. But if things are calm, it, it can be sort of a place where you can make a living, grow crops uh, at a very low level of, of, of income for sustenance. Um, and I wanted to ask 
Uh, for you as a writer, how, ha how have chars come up? And then when we talk about this sort of the violence of permanence, how do we compare a char, this sort of flowing, fluid, unpredictable um, feature, to something like the sort of stark, brutal permanence of a detention center, or the stark, brutal sort of nihilism, uh, or the finality of a tribunal? Where that one moment, if if you're uh, living in Assam, can determine your whole life. Uh, how do you see these two things? I guess both the concrete in the char, uh, the abstract in the tribunal or the detention center, and how have these come up in, in your most recent writing, or just in what you've been thinking about as these it's, as these events are unfolding? Thank you. Um, I think that's a very um, telling connection that you're making, and. Uh, between the detention centers, which we seek to freeze uh, you into very set categories. On the other hand, the chars are impermanent. Every few years, they might be, they might be sort of um, eroded away by the rivers, and, and new chars will be sars. We call them sar. So sars will be sar sapori. Sar sapori will be formed. Um, you know, I have not written about it, but I do. I do have. I have read about this. Uh, the sar sapori. Uh, there is actually a sar sapori uh, sahitya parishad. Uh, in, in a, that, that kind of supports uh, writers from Assam um, who are from Sarsapuri areas. Um, and um, I, I was recommended this book by uh, Abdul Samad. He's a novelist and he wrote this book called Boezai Sampaboti. And it's a beautiful novel about the life of uh, people in the source. Um, another writer called Ismail Hussain. Uh, as far as I know, he is from uh, Asar as well, and uh, and he has written almost about uh, 40 books in Assamese, um, um, on Assamese culture, literature, poetry, and so on. Um, I, I really find a lot of meaning um, in their work, uh, and, 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 and I try to uh, read them, think about them. I have, the, the Sarsapuri experience is not my experience. It is... Definitely, the immigrant Muslims who have faced the brunt of uh, the the flood and erosion and displacement, uh, but at the same time, poor people from all sections of life—tribals, lower castes, um, Hindus, Muslims—they have faced this. Um, and and I think um, um, in the I think I think this is something that I cannot morally support. You know, the detention centers or or even or even uh, an exclusive policy like the NRC. I do understand why the NRC was required in the first place. Um, and it scares me because uh, the implementation of it has been horrific. And the whole thought of it scares me because I don't think India as a country has the um, means to actually carry out a just, fair way of uh, documenting uh, citizens. Uh, and because they, they don't have this policy, um, um, and, and, and that is why um, uh, it, it, it is a very scary thought. I wouldn't be able to probably get myself into the NRC. I mean, it's a different thing that I already have, have a passport and all of that. But my grandmother wouldn't have been if she were living today. She couldn't be part of the NRC. And, and that is something, that is a thought that, that, that is very scary to me. And I, these 1.9 million people who were left out are completely uh, helpless people. And, and, and they didn't get enough support, help, and they're probably displaced because of various natural calamities, riots, political instability. And that is why they lost their documents. 
And even if you have documents, as you said, it's a very draconian, precarious uh, uh, system that the father may be a citizen, but the son may not be, just because there's this there's a difference in spelling. So um, these are my thoughts about NRC. Another um, element of language that comes up quite often when you read about Assam uh, is that we'll look at the good and bad in one question. So the the bad would be language that you will see associated with sort of um, Hindu nationalism or Hindu vata, the, the BJP. And in Assam, how I've seen this written about in English, how it was translated is that you'll see maybe on WhatsApp or in an article, they'll call a slang term maybe for, for Muslims or for undesirables or infiltrators or termites. I believe a very high-ranking Indian politician in the BJP recently said, these are termites, these sort of undesirables, these, these Muslims gnawing away at the foundation of, of Assam. Um, and unfortunately, you do also see this within Assam local organizations notably the All Assam Student Union, which um, has a very sort of localist identity where they, they are very afraid, as, as you talked about, of people who are not Assamese coming in, potentially sort of flooding the area, taking jobs, taking land, and these sorts of things. There's a lot of very violent and hateful language about some of these concepts. Now, to, to say on the other hand, when we talk about something like Maya poetry, which are students who, from my understanding, these are languages that are not uh, Assamese or Bengali, these sort of these, these languages that aren't really recognized by the state and uh, are associated most of the time with Muslim minorities, and people writing in them is sort of their way to say, like, I'm here, I'm a person. Like, well, you can't just break us down into these very binary categories of this is uh, uh, a human being who has good standing with the state. This is a human being who has bad standing with the state. It's this way to sort of reaffirm their humanity. And my understanding of Maya poetry is the state is so nervous about it as this very sort of transformational or inspirational way of expression that it's been banned on Facebook or that when these posts go up of, of students or young people writing Maya poetry, it it can be censored very quickly. So I wanted to ask just for you as a writer, how have you seen a language of hate occur in Assam? Do you think that that sort of language has power to divide us? And how do you see sort of a language of how we can reaffirm our humanity and, and conquer this language of hate in, in forms of expression like Maya poetry? It's, um, it's unfortunate that uh, there was such a huge outcry against Mia poetry. I think what happened uh, with the Mia poetry was absolutely unfortunate. Uh, and, and on the other hand, I was happy that a new genre of poetry is emerging from Assam, you know, and, and, and it is a, a wonderful way, a spectacular, beautiful way of assertion of identity and, 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 and language, uh, and also shows how uncomfortable some very um, um, a, a very parochial people can become because of the of, of linguistic assertion. Uh, 
And, you know, ironically, most of the people who wrote Mia poetry, they are Assamese writers, scholars, journalists. Um, I, uh, if I'm not wrong, uh, I think Par Parvin, uh, I think Rehana Sultana, one of the one of the poets who faced an FIR and had to go sort of an, an, almost in hiding, if I'm not wrong. She has a PhD on Assamese literature, you know, so, uh, and, and this is something that, that the common people of Assam, especially uh, um, middle-class Assamese people, have no idea that a large-scale, uh, in large-scale, people from the immigrant Muslim community, who they speak Assamese, and they are contributing to the language and culture of Assam. So I feel that anybody who rejected the Mia poetry, anybody who... Uh, who were offended by Mia poetry, they do not know um, how to read poetry. And, and that is the reason. So uh, it's, I mean, they need to just read more literature. But the problem is that we are living in such toxic polarizing terms. And especially if you use social media uh, uh, as, a, as a space of expression, it is, you are, you are misread and rejected even before uh, people, uh, people read your work completely. Uh, that is one of the consequences of social media. Um, and I think that um, the Mia poetry um, was an expression of uh, frustration and insecurity and discrimination and a protest uh, 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 against what was going on in Assam. But anybody who rejected it, anybody who, uh, who uh, had um, sort of problems with it. They don't know the tradition of protest poetry. They have no idea about how poetry works in a society. They need to take more poetry classes, you know, and that's, that's all I have to say. I'm really glad that Mia poetry is being written. I want to see an anthology of Mia poetry and I will be happy to uh, lend any support uh, that is possible to make it, uh, you know, uh, uh, the talking, talking point, you know, uh, among people who love literature. Um, and we have to also um, remember that, you know, there are many, many dialects in Assam and people write in all these dialects. Um, and there are these, some of these dialects, some of these languages are not recognized. I have written a, no a novella, which is in the dialect of my region. So um, to say that if I write in my dialect, um, uh, uh, is, is, a, is, a, is a way of um, rejecting Assamese is absolutely stupid and 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 erroneous. These are anybody who says this has they have no idea how to read book read a book. Um, in Mamuni Roysam Goswami or Indira Goswami wrote a wonderful novel uh, where the, all the dialogues are written in the South Kamrupi uh, dialect. Uh, another author called Nirupama Borguhai uh, wrote an entire novel um, uh, where the dialogues were in uh, in the dialect of a region called Nalbari. Um, uh, and, and so I think that Mia poetry is, is actually part of a long tradition of Assamese literature that depicts Assamese experience, that depicts uh, an experience of Assam that was hitherto underexplored, underrepresented, and I think we should welcome it. And, and, and as I said, people who don't know, people who reject Mia poetry really need to take poetry classes. I'm wondering for the protests in Assam, something you read about a lot when you study them or look into them, you see artists mentioned all the time, um, where it's you'll hear actors, writers, painters, poets, uh, local celebrities. They're constantly brought up as being critical to amplifying the protests in Assam. And it seems like throughout India, 
Uh, I'm wondering if you could talk about, uh, from your own perspective or from what you've seen, the unique role of the artist in inhabiting these protests so far, either in Assam or within uh, broader India. And do you think their language is effective or powerful enough to sort of blunt the dull blade of fascism, just sort of the same hateful message repeated over and over and over um, that a lot of countries, not just India, are facing? So uh, the one-sentence way to ask that question is, how do we see the artists present in protests in Assam and India? And is their message convincing people over the message of sort of a, a fascism? Uh, I think I did not address the question of language and hateful language in the earlier question. I just want to quickly address it by saying that I'm very uncomfortable with the language that I see being amplified, which is the language of calling people illegal, calling people comparing them and dehumanizing them, comparing them with animals or termites and dehumanizing them. I see it not just in the political spectrum, but I also see it in the Assamese nationalist organizations. And I completely reject that. And I I, I would never subscribe to uh, such a language. And I think that if the struggle in Assam aspires to remain democratic, aims to remain democratic and equal, they need to find a language that is inclusive and human. And I think it exists, but at the same time, it's a wrong kind of voice sometimes that repeatedly gets amplified. Uh, and, and, and we need to support those human voices. We need to support those inclusive voices as much as possible. And that is where I think the artists come in. Uh, there is a reason why there is large-scale support from writers, poets, singers, musicians, uh, in Assam uh, for the anti-CAA, anti-citizenship amendment act protests. Um, and that is because this is truly a fight for the survival of Assamese people. And we have to, when I, when I say that, yes, Assam has, is, a, is a salad bowl of ethnicities, but it is also uh, has a shared language. It is also in one state. And, and we have to remember the rights of indigenous people are unique and different. And, and uh, for, unfortunately, fortunately for wrong or good, these huge range of people, they find, they, they, they are resisting the Citizenship Amendment Act right now. And we have to look at it not just as a case of xenophobia, which is a very reductive way of looking at it, but as a fight for the survival of their indigenous rights, because indigenous people have very specific um, features, very specific uh, culture, and according to all kinds of uh, organizations, you know, suppose such as the United Nations, such as the International Indian Treaty Council, all of these, they support the right of indigenous people. And, and if India need, wants to remain a member of the global family, they have to respect indigenous rights and protect Assamese people as also, this is something that is enforced by the Memorandum of Understanding that is signed, which we call the Assam Accord. The reason why artists and uh, cultural figures are participating is because uh, the fear of being reduced to a linguistic minority, the fear of being not able to practice our language is so palpable that they, that they, they have left their comfort zones uh, to come out to the streets and protest and lead the protests. Uh, one of the reasons is because Assam was doubly colonized, once by the British and another by the linguistic colonization of Assam that happened uh, 
from Bengalis. So multiple times, Assam, as people of Assam had to be on the streets, get shot, um, fight to use Assamese in the office, offices of Assam, to use Assamese as a medium of instruction in school, to use Assamese as a state language, and so on. So this fear is a very old fear of, of, being, of being denied to speak their own language. This fear is also made much, much palpable from an example very close to home, which is uh, a more recent example, uh, uh, as opposed to, say, the example uh, that many people give is uh, of the condition of Native Americans uh, uh, who were the victims of settler colonialism, or the condition of Maoris in, in, in New Zealand, again, victims of settler colonialism. So, um, but closer home, the people of a state called Tripura, I was listening to an interview uh, of Pradyut Debarman, who belongs to the royal family of Tripura. He's also a political leader. Uh, he talks about how large-scale immigration to Tripura uh, sort of changed the demography of Tripura and turned the Tripuris, the indigenous people of Tripura, into minorities in their own land. In 1940, there was a famine in Bengal, and the king of Tripura um, allowed poor people there are uh, people who did not have food to eat to settle in Tripura. Then there were riots in Noakhali uh, a few, you know, before the independence of India. Uh, Noakhali is a southeastern district in, in current Bangladesh. And, and the king of Tripura again allowed the refugees, uh, persecuted Hindu refugees, to settle in the kingdom of Tripura, uh, which is now a state in India. And, and, these pers and this continued to happen over multiple phases. Of course, definitely in 47, then in the 50s and 60s, and definitely in 1971, when the Bangladesh Liberation War happened, large-scale immigrants, uh, Hindu immigrants primarily, came to settle in Tripura because there are already a batch of people there. As a result, the indigenous people of Tripura have been reduced to a minority. This, so this example causes huge anxiety among the indigenous population in the other states of Northeast, uh, and that, that a larger demographic group will come and reduce them into minorities. And in Tripura, right now, the East uh, Bengali settlers uh, right now control everything. Um, and and, and uh, this has led to a lot of conflict in Tripura, both armed and uh, democratic conflict uh, for assertion of indigenous rights. So the indigenous population is completely marginalized in Tripura. And this is a very recent history. And it has happened in front of the people's eyes in the northeastern states of India. And that is why it is such a strong assertion of indigenous identity in Assam, in, in, in Arunachal, or any other place in Northeast. And because, there are, because I'm an Assamese writer, and, and I want to, uh, I don't want my, um, I don't want to dominate any other language, but I also don't, don't want my language to die away. I want a network of languages to exist in Assam. I want, um, I want my language to thrive and survive and, and preserve it in any way I, uh, I want to just the way the natives, uh, Choctaws or Dakotas or Lakotas want to do that. So in the same way, uh, that is why it is so important for the writers, artists uh, to come and, and, and partake part of the protest. In fact, the first curfew breaching uh, gathering uh, out when the CAA was passed was led by a popular singer called Zwingarg. I'm, uh, and uh, I'm not sure how great a political leader he would be, but definitely he has millions of followers and lovers across languages, across ethnicities, because his songs are so popular. He writes songs, he composes them. And in similar ways, um, Hiran Gohai, who is a scholar actually and a writer, 
uh, he is part of the movement. Um, actors, you know, popular superstars of Assamese cinema, they are part of the movement. Uh, quite a few actors have resigned from the BJP, the current government, because they held posts as, you know, different kinds of posts they were holding in the BJP. And they have rejected it and said, we want to be on the side of the people. People are performing, people are singing, uh, and people are, um, people are enacting skits on the streets in Assam. And the reason why we see a lot of culture uh, as a part of this protest is because of this very palpable fear that we will not be able to sing right in our language if we are going to be reduced to a minority like Tripura. So Tripura continues to serve as a, as a very sort of looming, ex scary example to, in the minds of the, of, the, of the people in Assam, in the Brahmaputra Valley. Something that I worry about is, so Foucault had uh, that idea of biopolitics, that the state evolves to the point of surveillance that it starts managing your body. Numerous scholars now sort of talk about necropolitics, this sort of idea that when there's a certain saturation point, the state moves from managing bodies to sort of managing uh, death, that it, uh, the, the state sort of recognizes that it can kill a certain amount of people and still function, or function uh, in a way that's more beneficial to the state. I'm I'm wondering when. So when I look at a lot of the violence that's going on in the world, as someone who's who's based sort of their company around art, it's very fatiguing and depressing, because you'll see these moments of artistic brilliance throughout protests, songs, texts, poetry books and then you'll see that same artist you know that with their face smashed in from police batons or you know blinded by pepper spray or uh, the bones broken and thrown into jail and I'm just wondering through through what you've seen what you've talked to with other writers through your own writing what is your own sort of philosophy on on is there something more powerful than than violence and can the arts sort of point us the way there so that we have some tactics some understanding of how we can stand up when the pepper sprays out when the bullets are being fired and when and when the tear gas is in the air um that's a very difficult question but i will try to answer it but first i want to address the uh, theme of necropolitics where you talk about how the state manages, uh, identifies a certain group of people and decides that they should be dead. In fact, that has happened in Kashmir and Assam, and I can talk about Assam more confidently. Um, my first novel is actually set against a widespread uh, series of killings that happened in the late 90s. Um, it was allegedly, you know, allegedly in courts, uh, allegedly conducted by the Indian government in order to quell the Assamese uh, insurgency. Uh, in order to quell the separatist movement in Assam. And uh, this, this basically were conducted by unknown death squads who would come knocking uh, in the middle of the night, usually, uh, on the houses of people who had their one of their family members uh, as a relative. They were either relatives of the underground uh, rebels or were friends or sympathizers 
any, anyhow, if you had a sympathetic ear to the insurgency, you might get a knock and a visit from the death squad. These death squads would take the targeted person away and, uh, and kill them um, uh, and, uh, as, a, as a punishment. Uh, and it was a way of sending a message, a brutal message uh, to the insurgents that if you don't surrender, we are going to kill everyone you love. In some instances, entire families, such as the family of poet Mithinga Doimari, were gunned down. Uh, there was a killing that happened near my house uh, when I was in high school. And I saw the body being taken by hundreds of people as in a protest march across the city. Uh, and uh, I was going to school, I was a young boy. So this has happened basically where the state decided that some people are undesirable and needs to die and, and, and uh, in, because that would help them control the, the, the insurgency that was happening in Assam in the late 90s. So this has happened definitely. Um, and, uh, what, I, and I definitely am biased because I'm a writer and a professor of literature, but I believe that, uh, I believe that that immediately, it is not something that that will work immediately on the event of um, of an absolute imminent danger. When somebody is um, holding a gun to your head, I don't think art can come and play a role. Uh, but definitely, uh, uh, stories and narratives can play a role uh, later. Uh, and 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 also during the movement. Um, by inspiring people. Um, I, uh, lots of people are participating in these current struggles, but they all at the same time, they're composing songs to inspire themselves, uh, to keep themselves upbeat. Uh, they're singing songs, they're singing folk songs to keep themselves uh, energized uh, mentally uh, in, so that they can um, oppose this unjust law, that, which is the Citizenship Amendment Act. Uh, and, you know, over and over, we have seen how in literature can play a role. Uh, I, I have seen uh, in the case of uh, one of my uh, um, one of my favorite writers called Indira Goswami, um, who actually uh, played a major role in bringing uh, peace to Assam in the 2000s. She was a very powerful writer, a nationally regarded writer with uh, quite a bit of international acclaim. Uh, and a very popular novelist in Assam. She was widely loved by the insurgents and also by the government side because she was very close to um, many people in the government and she was a professor at Delhi University. Um, she decided to meet, become the mediator uh, of peace talks in, in, in Assam and that actually uh, led to um, a, a, a sort of um, stopping of violence in Assam um, and that a lot of us actually enjoyed later in 2010 because of that. Of course, that uh, that 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 was quite um, temporary. The peace and um, and 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 there was simmering discontent continuing. And um, but Gosami's efforts, Gosami's uh, work as a writer, um, gave her the platform and the power in order to uh, negotiate peace talks uh, because she was so loved both by on both sides. I, I take inspiration from the work of Nadine Gordimer, who constantly wrote against the apartheid regime, and, and her works has enabled us to imagine what it means to live during the apartheid, and it contributed to the growth of global consensus against the apartheid. The novels of Isabel Allende, you know, uh, for example, uh, what is happening right now in India is very similar to 
the third part of um, the House of the Spirits, um, where um, one of the characters uh, uh, is is caught in between a student protest against the fascist government. They are taken to detention camps, and um, this character witnesses a lot of atrocities and is subjected to a lot of atrocities by the fascist government, but can but lives eventually to tell the tale. And um, the literature can serve as uh, as, a, as a medium through which uh, conversations of justice and human rights can be rejuvenated and sustained. Literature can bring a lot of these things uh, to the public uh, to the public trial to a public trial and and cause uh, moral pressure and create moral pressure on on, uh, on on governments that are unjust and fascist. And I and and yes, it is it is not something that is immediate, but um, uh, it is something that happens slowly uh, and, and is serves and would remain forever to serve as a constant reminder um, that, you know, uh, this is what happened and you must remember this and this is why you should not commit these mistakes. So I do believe in the power of literature, not just to heal, but also to resist. Uh, the, the last question would just be that Usually when there's a lot of fear in approaching someone um, and, and asking how can I help or I'm interested in learning more, uh, the, the white savior complex is a real thing. There's a lot of people who, by being well-meaning, actually offend or complicate um, discussions where they're there wasn't any complication before. Um, I'm wondering for you as someone who, who maybe is very skilled in communicating an extremely rich and nuanced um, place like Assam in your work, what advice you would have for individuals who want to learn more about Assam or see these wave of global protests and uprising? What, what has sort of teaching others, being a teacher, being a writer who can explain these complicated situations, taught you about how to better understand, communicate uh, with struggles that aren't your own? Thank you. Um, that's a beautiful question, actually. And I have, my first response uh, is that talk to people from Assam. Talk to reach out to uh, writers, academics, um, who can speak at least your language, uh, learn, uh, I think a big disappointment, I feel, uh, is the way the international media is covering it. Yes, it is the front page news of Washington Post and New York Times and God knows what else. But um, but they're saying that this is a struggle for Muslims only. No, it is there. It's just it's a question about India's secular character. And people from all religions and atheists are participating in it and trying to help retain the secular nature of the Indian constitution. In Assam, uh, people are saying that it is against the migration of Hindu Bengalis because the such Citizenship Amendment Act would allow a lot of Hindu Bengalis to naturalize. But Assamese people are saying that it is against foreigners, it is against um, it is against immigrants, and and it is also widely reduced as pure, merely xenophobic. Uh, Assamese Muslims are also. Um, belittled uh, as ethno-fascists and their voice is completely decontextualized and, and distorted. Um, what we need to understand is that <clears throat> all, all incidents uh, are also influenced by a lot of local history and a lot of local politics and a lot of local culture. 
and we have to look at them separately and together. If you look at them together, we get we get, we tend to gain something. If you look at them separately, we we also tend to tend to gain something, and in fact, probably more. Um, and in I think the desire for a lot of um, spaces uh, in the West is to sort of club all of these things together and put them and toss them into 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 one bowl and 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 not understand the individual and distinct reasons behind people's uh, anger. And that is something that I would caution anyone to not do, that it is difficult, it is hard work, it is so much easy to read the New York Times or Washington Post and, re and read these interlocutors, but, if, but, but it is it's the hard work that is going to bring us closer to the truth. Uh, and, and I would always say that um, is the, that is the way to look at it, basically. So yes, uh, if you want to know about Assam, talk to people in Assam, interview people in Assam. And, and Assam doesn't speak in one voice. Assam doesn't speak, Assam speaks in multiple voice. But right now, everybody is saying that we don't want the citizenship amendment bill. And there are many problems with that voice, probably. Um, as, we, as you pointed out, there are some, there's quite a bit of dehumanizing rhetoric, even in this protest, in the voices of protest. But the larger, what we need in politics, what we need in society is, a larger unanimity uh, to resist against oppression, and if that is a that is something that we can achieve, the rest of the differences can be uh, solved if progressive voices are sustained and kept alive. Um, and and I and I hope that you know uh, that 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 is going to happen. And the work of writers, artists, intellectuals, academics, um, open-minded people is going to ensure that. And I believe in that. Um, and, and we also have to constantly check ourselves. So for anybody, for people outside India, this is, this is a fight for the soul of India because India's soul rests in being secular. You know, we are a secular nation. We are proud about that. And, 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 and that is what it should be looked at, not merely only as a struggle that is being raised by Muslims, you know? Uh, uh, it, is, it is about every Indian, everyone who believes, is, uh, believes in the constitution of India. And, and, and uh, it is not only about faith. Definitely, the Muslims are facing a lot of problems, and they are the um, ones who are targeted by this Hindu majoritarian government. But this is a struggle that has been waged by everyone from all, 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 all spheres of the society and aspects of the society, except anyone who, who supports the government of India. Well, it was a pleasure to speak with you today. Um, I think this is going to be um, enormously helpful. Uh, for people who are interested, um, just for people who listened to you and said, wow, that guy is really smart. <laughs> Where can they find out more about you and what's sort of a good um, way for American readers or UK readers? What would be like a, a very easy or recommended book of yours if they wanted to actually read a bit more of, of your work and learn more about the, the man uh, who, who I've spoken with today? Thank you. I, I would recommend um, my first novel, uh, which uh, tackles Assam's history in, all its, in, in, in as much complexity as possible. I was 24 years old when I wrote it, so, um, but it has remained in print ever since. Uh, and I'm, I think uh, people will be able to have a sense of the problems in Assam, not all of these recent problems, but definitely what it meant to grow up under the insurgency, 
what it means to be an Assamese, what it means to be a resident of Assam, um, and 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 what role literature can play uh, uh, in order to critique state violence. I think if they're looking for these questions, answers to these questions, they should definitely read Matt Forrest's book. I would say that. But there are many good books. I would re- recommend Indira Goswami's novels. Um, I would recommend the non-fiction work of Professor Sanjeev Borua, who is at Bard College. Uh, and and you know, I have a long list of books that I would. You can send them to me, and we can put them in the show description. Okay, I would I would definitely email them to you. Then yes, absolutely. Let's go, turn that shit up, man.